Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This will be the first of hopefully many NBA Tears podcasts with Matt Moore on Real GM Radio for the 22-23 season, one of my absolute favorite exercises in part because Matt thinks of great prompts, this being no exception, and because the exercise and talking about it with the two of us, like it gives me a lot of clarity and I work through some stuff. And as always, I really enjoyed it. I'll let him explain what the criteria was for this one, but I, I truly love the exercise. Episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to give yourself a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Episode runs a little bit over an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I always love doing this. As is tradition, I gave you the opportunity to choose the criteria for this tiers exercise. And as is tradition, you picked something really fun that got my brain working over the last four days. You want to walk people through it? Yeah. So the idea is, you know, it's early on in the season and you're not able, although it's not as early as people think, we're actually 10% of the way through the season as we kind of record this, like more than 10% of the way through. And so um, a good idea is, are you on track for your season long, including playoffs goals? Like, it doesn't mean that you can't get there. It doesn't mean that you have to be at the level you could be approaching based off of the timeline that you want, all those types of things. But how close are you to being where you want to be at the end when it is July? How close are you to those goals right now? It's a great prompt in part because it adjusts based on what teams are looking for. So it kind of can, it leads to some stuff that'll take some explanation on my end. But like, you know, like for example, the Milwaukee Bucks, their expectations are meaningfully different than the Portland Trailblazers or the San Antonio Spurs. But, you know, relative to those expectations, there may be some similarities, some differences there. So I think that's really interesting. And just to walk people through the basic concept of mine, there are more tiers in this, but the basic idea was, are there any teams that we just have to... make new expectations in a positive direction. And so that's mm, that's obviously yeah. the best thing. Like the best thing is you're so good. And then there's kind of a sub-tier where it's like, I'm seriously considering it, but I'm not quite there yet. And then it's, you know, like you're exceeding expectations, but you don't have new expectations. And then on track and then kind of below in a couple of different tiers. But that's the basic idea of how I did it. Did you, is your structure similar or is it different? Mine's a little different because, you know, honestly, it's like, I don't know that you can have new expectations based off of this hot start. I think having, I think it's dangerous to be like, you know, oh, we should make, you know, we should try and be a playoff team or, um, you know, to change it in terms of, the downside too of well you know look we just we thought we might be good but we're not like well no there's a lot of time left so for my structure it was really a lot lot more tailored to uh have you a lot of this is honestly based off of the results versus the process so like my top tier it's not that these teams at the top are like uh as good as they want to be it's that honestly for a lot of them it's hey Things haven't been perfect, and we're still in a great spot. And all of those things combined means that you're well on your way because if you expect positive regression in those other areas, you can feel very good about it. Versus some of these teams are, okay, like my favorite tier in this is my third tier, which is could be better, but we're off the ledge. And that's basically, Mm. look, 
Things are great. Things are not awesome. They, I, I don't know that we're a great team, but we don't have to really worry. And there's two teams that are tanking in there because it's basically, hey, w- would it be better if we were losing a bunch of games close? Sure, but we're probably going to get a top five pick. The young guys are playing well, and that's probably enough for us. Right, and that's a, a, a couple of reminders that that inspired me to, to mention. One is this is not all tied to one loss record for sure. A lot of it is not only like, you know, things like net rating. I'll bring up SRS, which is a set that Basketball Reference has, which what I like about SRS in the early going is that it incorporates opponent strength. Now, it doesn't have the full nuance to be like, oh, this guy was suspended for this game, and so you played him, but they're overall good. But no stat is perfect, so that's why you you go through all that. And then as you mentioned, there's a lot of other context, players that were available, but also like if you're a young team, are your are the players who are your foundation playing well? And so you get yeah. into those sorts of circumstances. So like you could, I mean, the Orlando Magic will feature in a in a different place than some might expect based on their two and eight record. And and we'll get into that. And I'll, I'll start off with this because you brought up a great point, which is the it's very hard to recalibrate expectations too early, and it can be a mistake. And I think that's what's kind of so perfect about the only team that I put in that qualification, and that's the Utah Jazz. Because first things first, the Utah Jazz, as I have seen them so far, and I know you've watched a fair amount of them too, they've just been a credible, like a good credible team. And I don't mean just as in a negative, I mean just as in like, that's what they've been. And so how Danny Ainge, how Justin Zanuck, how ownership responds to that is very fascinating, very important. Because right now, as we're recording this, they're eight and three, they've beaten some good teams, they've they've looked good overall. And so there are lots of positives you can take from that. However, I, you know, this isn't as extreme as the Masai Ujiri taking over the Raptors and them winning and being like, okay, we're going to do it. But I think the Jazz, like, this is, why I wanted to put them in a separate tier is this inspires a different kind of decision than I think they expected to make. Yeah, and I I was kind of worried about their tanking efforts from the get-go. When I looked at their roster, when you trade Mitchell and Gobert, they make so much money, you have to. You're just not going to find a lot of dead money. It's hard to find those guys. And if you do take that, then you're getting almost nothing in return, right? Like they could have swapped, they could have done a deal with the Lakers and taken Russ back as essentially dead money, but the Lakers don't have anything to offer them as far as assets. And so they wanted, you want to, if you're, you're trading these guys, you want good things back that you can move later. But the problem then is like now you have this conglomeration of, these are all not only NBA players, but pretty good ones. Mike Conley, pretty good NBA player. Laurie Markkinen, pretty good NBA player. Was one last year, looked great in Eurobasket. Uh, Colin Sexton, before the injury last year, pretty good NBA player. Jared Vanderbilt on Minnesota, pretty good NBA player, and on and on. And this was my concern from the beginning is trying to get to a tank with this team isn't as simple as, well, if we trade Mike Conley, well, if we trade Laurie Markkinen, you're still, you have too much talent and Will Hardy's proving that he's really good at coaching guys up. Uh, it's an uncomfortable situation. And on top of it, it presents these problems from a, when you deal with players on a human level, on a personal level, you're going to get wrapped up into a set of decisions where their feelings are going to matter to you to some degree like it's not fair for us to just pull the plug on this team those guys are playing well these are professionals we put them together we paid them we put this team on the floor is it fair for the fans and for the players for us to just be like yeah but we really want victor Wembanyama. you have to kind of hope they fail and you can do what you can but to be honest the jazz didn't do enough from an organizational standpoint if that was their intention to set this team up to fail the team is too good and so now they're faced with uh what's uh i think is going to be a difficult like you said fascinating decision set set of decisions over the next couple months right and also what did danny ainge expect in terms of the players they brought in like brought up a number of different guys like markinen and jared vanderbilt and colin sexton a lot of those guys i think ainge was at least open to having on the team long term and then you run into a different thing which is does trading the players who don't fit that vision make you bad enough and like maybe you're still in the play-in mix maybe you do everything else and the the challenge that Utah's going to have to navigate is well and and they've been so much fun to watch too which is like it's harder if you're if the goal is to eventually rip the band-aid off it's so much harder when it's like started healing and things are going well than if it's worse but you know they'll, they'll get through all that but I wanted the Jazz in their own conversation. Then I want to talk to you about two teams. You're so good at keeping kind of getting me in line on this. I have two teams where it's just like, 
should I be raising my expectations? And those, like, where it's like, you know, I agree with you, it's too early to basically do this on everybody. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Hmm. And so for the Cavs, like, I, and, and some of this is, I was doing a mix of my own expectations and the teams, because sometimes the team ones are a little bit murky. And so for the Cavs, like, I, I expected them to make the playoffs, I picked their over, all that type of stuff. And you included the playoffs as kind of like meeting expectations. And so I'm like, I think they're they're definitely better than I expected. And I was an extreme Cavs optimist. But I don't know if this is a fundamentally different set of expectations or just a rosier version of the similar ones. I think the big key here is whether you graded their expectations on a regular season or playoff level. Sure. So if the idea is build a great team congrats you've done it this is a great team like they're deep they're versatile they're well coached very happy for jb bakerstaff who everyone in the league adores and had nothing but bad runs with interim situations and tough franchises and what he's done with this team is really remarkable like their tenacity their game plan their rotations the vibe is great everything it, it's just great i think the difference becomes the Cavs are going to be in this, this territory all year of can we look at their regular season matchups and walk out of it going, no, yeah, like they're a contender. They can do this when the playoffs come. They beat Boston twice. Like they've done everything that, that, that we could have asked of them. If out of these first 10 games, you were like, I want you to prove that you're a playoff contender, that you can actually make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals or Finals. The two games that you would circle are the games versus the Boston Celtics, and they went 2-0. Now, over time, tight games, close, but... They got the they they done what we asked. This is always the thing with these teams that have really great regular season records is you have to reserve some caution if it's not a team that you've seen had success in the playoffs. But you also have to recognize when they do what they can. Like you can't be like, well, I don't think they're going to do it because I haven't seen them do it. Well, all they can do is give you the results in the regular season that they can. And so far the Cavs are. And like that, I think, is where a lot of this gets into. The Cavs not having enough of those is why I've upgraded the Cavs from, yeah, I think they're going to be a great regular season team. I don't buy this in the playoffs. I've upgraded to them to, well, we'll see what the route looks like, right? Like, let's see what the bracket looks like. If they get the right series of matchups, yeah, I could see them in an Eastern Conference Finals. You get to the Final Four, and it comes down to injuries and shooting variants. So I've upgraded their expectations in that sense to I don't it's more that I don't exclude them from playoff expectations I'm now into okay let's let's see how this goes and I will recalibrate is where I'm at with Cleveland totally fair and it's also super hard with not only a like you think of a team and sometimes we usually think of this as a franchise you know the the name on the front of the jersey situation but it's also like the individual players Evan Mobley Jared Allen Donovan Donovan Mitchell's had some success but he's also had some distinct failures in the playoffs and Darius Garland hasn't been there and so yep. there, there are a lot that we're that we don't know and the other part of it is it's hard to slot them in in the Eastern Conference when we have a lot of other teams we're still assessing so it's like you know, okay well are they better than Philly right now yes obviously they are but are they better than Philly will be in April who the hell knows like we, we have to figure all that up and if you want to combine both conferences it gets even thornier and OKC is complicated, too, because the Thunder, yeah. I mean, Shea has been phenomenal so far. And, like, I mean, I, I'm going to do a whole segment on this in the um, the League Pass NBA strategy stream broadcast that we're doing tonight. Most people, that'll probably air before most people listen to this. There, I mean, Shea's been unbelievable. As we're recording this, the, the Thunder are ninth in cleaning the glass defense but you know they're still ne- clearly negative net rating they've they've had some tough losses they've had some good wins and so the other question with them paralleling the jazz is has this affected what sam presti wants to do and my inclination is no it's very difficult to figure out because i don't i'll say this i don't think that sam presti is as linear as people kind of agreed ascribe to him i think to a certain degree Ainge might be this way though in diff- very different ways um i think some teams like sam hinky was like the vision was clear right and he would go to any lengths that he needed to in order to pursue the process uh presti i think is a bit more contextual 
And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that I the big factor in this is that I, I really do think that Presti believes Chet Holmgren is the guy that they wanted to get. I, th- I think he believes in that. And so your fans' response is, well, yeah, but what's better than Chet Holmgren? Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama. But if you're Presti and you're like, look, I want this team to be ready to go next year. I want because... Shea's not going to be young forever, and he's going to get annoyed if it's he's wasting his career. I want us ready to go with Chet. We think Dort's pretty good. He's been good. We have some pieces. We like the young guys that we drafted the Jalens. Those guys look good. So there's something to be said for building momentum into that while also balancing it with, well, look, if things go sideways, then for sure. Where I think the pressy stuff comes into mind is like, well, look, if Shea comes down with a hamstring injury, do we hold him out four weeks? instead of two sure do we hold if if he comes down with a bad ankle do we hold him out three weeks instead of a week and a half like those small adjustments where you can kind of keep yourself in the range um part of it with okc the other thing that and this applies to the spurs to a certain degree too is the the schedule is so weird right now because of how teams have performed like if you look at at the thunder um you know they start off with two losses to the wolves who obviously are bad they get two wins versus the clippers but the clippers have legitimately been a bottom five team this year right um they pull off the win versus the mavericks and that one was in overtime so kind of a coin flip game they beat the magic who obviously are the magic and then they take losses to the nuggets and the bucks so when we kind of look at the actual win loss here, like your goal, if you're the if you're the Thunder or any of these teams really that are tanking, and this plays into part of the expectations, is mostly that what you want is you want to be like, hey, we're actually 17th in net rating with uh, offensive and defensive ratings that were above 25. We just lost all the close games and found enough ways to lose to where we still had this chance at a, at a good lottery spot. It's just really hard to do that. I have the the Thunder in the um, second to last of my six tiers. Interesting. Based off of, I think there's been a lot of, of positive momentum, but it's almost like some numbers would suggest that they should have lost more. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you, you want to look good, but you don't want to look good so good that you win. And that's really the kind of been the problem for them is like their the results are exceeding, I think, the performance to a certain degree. And you want the opposite if you're trying to get where to a great draft spot and have momentum in the next season. I will note that, so a team that might stand out as missing of those top three they talked about is the Bucks, And the reason why the Bucks aren't there is because my expectations for them are title contender. The only thing above title contender is title favorite. And I don't think with what we've seen, I would put anybody there. So it's the idea that they've exceeded expectations, but they have, they're not raising them because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got them. So my, we can go ahead and start talking about tiers, yes. right? You're, you're okay with that. So my first tier is everything is awesome. And uh, the Bucks are number one on that list. And the sure. reason for that is for a team that motivation was everybody's kind of question, right? Like how motivated are they going to be? Seeing the way that the fact that Giannis came back better is terrifying. Like that is absolutely terrifying. He's better than ever. That's scary. Uh, Brooke Lopez, you know, a little bit of like, well, okay, I had back surgery last year. Like, I don't know. We'll see. Kind of is Brooke going to be able to do And Brooke's defensive player of the year candidate. Drew's been awesome. You don't have mid. You're undefeated. You've been dominant. And you're the one area that you've been weak in is the specific area that Chris Middleton addresses. So, like, on some level, to me, I think that they're ahead of expectation and that they would have been fine if it was, like, a slow ramp up over the course of the season. Getting off to a hot start, all that means is that if they continue this into Christmas, if they make it the next month and a half on this pace, they get to coast even more in the middle part of the season. Like, they get to not have to buckle down post-All-Star and be like, all right, we need to try and make a— Like, last season, they struggled because of injuries and everything else, and then had to basically make a late push to win the division and get a top three seed. If they are on this track, they can coast a lot more, still wind up top three, maybe top one, and not have to worry about it. So for me, the Bucks absolutely belong in that top tier. It's Bucks, Cavaliers, the Celtics, and the Suns. And a lot of it for me with the Celtics is they had so much upheaval. They had so much drama. They had so many question marks. No Robert Williams. And the offense has been so good that the defense is not good, even though we like I feel confident the defense will be top five by the end of the season. And they're still here. So that's enough for me to get them there. And Phoenix, it's much the same kind of way where I don't think Phoenix has been necessarily impressive, but a lot of things have gone sideways for them 
including the Jay Crowder thing, the Cam Johnson thing throws a, a huge wrench in. But despite all that, for them to be, yeah, they're right on track, that means that they haven't lost ground despite not having things go their way. It's a great point. And I mean, with the Celtics and the Suns, uh, a distillation of it is the car didn't fly off the road and it's a good car. So it's like, you know, being being there is a success. And there were plenty of reasons for both of those franchises to think that something could have happened with an Ime Udoka situation and everything that was going on with the Suns. And so, yeah, I agree with that. Also for Phoenix, another reason I'm optimistic. So they're in my exceeding but not changing their expectations group is Phoenix has only lost twice. Both of their losses were by two points. Incidentally, both of those losses were also to the Portland Trailblazers, which the Blazers have actually, you know, they're in my exceeding expectations group too. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There are, you know, like we're wondering about Cam Johnson, but briefly to go back to the Bucks because they deserve all the praise that they can get right now. The, my favorite category, and I think you hit on a lot of these teams in your tier one, are squads that are succeeding, that are thriving, and doing it with the players that matter in the ways that we that they we hope and expected. So it's not shooting mm, variants. Yeah. It's not, you know, like, oh, this player just hitting every single shot for two weeks or something like that. No, the Bucks are winning the math problem. There's also a really interesting storyline with them on the shots that they're giving up. Um, something Nate and I are going to talk about in 1560 and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so they're really interesting. But like, that's my favorite kind of really good team is, oh, like, I just, I'm just not scared. I'm not scared at all. And so that's really, really good. Um, I think we've gone through with some real substance and all that. So I'll just, because we've already talked about some of them, the rest of my exceeding expectations, but I'm not giving that, like, I'm not moving their expectations yet. So we talked about the Bucks and Suns. The other teams in this group for me are the Raptors, and I've yeah. been very impressed with the Raptors. I mean, the way mm-hmm. that they've battled through player absences, unfortunately, Pascal Siakam, sounds like it's going to be more like two to three weeks rather than potentially a month or months, which is good, but he's been very good so far. Van Vliet's missed about half their season. They've still been trucking. Their defense is just a pain in the ass to play against. I love, I, I, I've love. i loved watching the Raptors basically every second I've watched them. Yeah, I mean, look, Dunks and Threes got them top five in offense and defense, fourth best net rating. Hard to argue with any of that. Um, I've got them in tier two right where we want to be. And the reason is kind of uh, the results here matter from the perspective of they are top five in both of those categories and five and four. Yep. Right. So it's or six and four rather. So it's like the Raptors are are. I think from a process standpoint, awesome. Like I think Pascal Siakam has been, um, I don't know what he was like player of the first 10% of games, player of the month, player of the quarter, whatever. Uh, That's how good he was. Like if we were to be like, Hey, who's been the most valuable player through this small sample, we know it's small sample, but who's been the most valuable player. Siakam goes on my list. Like it would not be that many names for me to get to him. I have been blown away by how awesome he's been in every capacity. And it's, been it was every game from the start of the season until he got hurt um look they have a huge advantage night to night in that they have a versatile scheme are well coached and play their starters a ton of minutes and they're basically impossible to prepare for because no other team has their combination of attributes right and they're they're just and they and not only that but you can sometimes if a team is like difficult because they're different you can beat it with effort and you can't beat the raptors with effort and that's another really impressive thing about them so i think they've been awesome but the problem is like the net loss was unfortunate like they should have won that game it came down to like shooting variants um you're gonna get hit with some games where Kyrie hits the kind of shots that he hit that in that game uh they had opportunities, but again, it's kind of like I've got them tier two in the right where we want to be category. Because if you're Toronto, you're like, has everything gone our way? No, not everything. Uh, do we have room to improve? Yeah, probably a little bit just in terms of the the winning games part. But from a how your team looks and how prepared you are to weather this, I think Boucher has actually given them really good minutes mm-hmm. off the bench. They've gotten a, like a, they only need like a few contributors off the bench. They still have some of the same roster problems that they knew going in. Like this team wants a center. They've been actively trying to get a backup center forever. They can't find one. They can't find the center they've been looking for. They will make it work. It's just that they would rather have had that that thing solved. Um, there's a lot for them, I think, too, that, that they've got runway and upside. But from a how they have played standpoint, it's hard to argue that Toronto's anywhere but exactly where they just want to be. Yeah, and the only fear for me is, and this kind of ties in with what you were saying, is how does this all work in the playoffs? When you're facing better opponents consistently that can zone in, that can zoom in on your strengths and weaknesses, and, I mean, 
they've been it's a lot of it offensively is a similar story their half court offense has been pretty weak but they've been in the half court less than everybody else they've been great in transition right. they've been getting offensive rebounds and so it's like i mean having fred van vliet for more than you know half the season will help but it's the idea of will i trust them you know there's a, a weird parallel here with the Cavs. i mean the raptors organizationally won a championship in 2019 but many of those players are not there anymore and they have like this roster has more extreme strengths and weaknesses than some of the other ones have. And so that, you know, I will believe it if I see it, but I will need to probably see it in April and May. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my right where we want to be tier is uh, Blazers, mm-hmm. the Bulls, actually, who I've been surprisingly impressed with uh, the Nuggets, the Raptors, the Hawks, the Knicks. And here's the first team that that which is why this exercise is interesting. Uh, the Indianapolis Pacers, like Pacers, are putting up a bunch of points. Pacers look competitive. Their young guys look awesome. And yet the Indiana Pacers are four and five. It there's a very clear path for them to tank the back half of the season and get a top five pick. Uh, they're a team that kind of fits that category. Plenty more to discuss with Matt, but first, a message from BetOnline.ag. Basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You will always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. It is always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. You can bet the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that is the CLNS50 promo code to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. I'm curious to know your thoughts on Chicago. Because they're switching a ton this season, and it's a fascinating change. And I really like some of the small ways that Chicago has changed its approach this season under Billy Donovan. And I think the results are pretty good, given what they've tried. I've been impressed and even more impressed with the Bulls, given the context. I mean, they've had Lonzo out the whole time. But Zach Levine, not only has he been kind of in and out, but also he hasn't looked like peak Zach Levine when he's been out there. And so that means you put more offensively on a lot of different shoulders. Also, some of their support players have been out. And yeah, the defensive scheme stuff has has been interesting. It's it's worked out relatively well so far. And I've you know I I for me it's actually been you you brought it you brought up Billy Donovan and I think that's a great place to go. Is that I didn't expect to see as much different defensively as we've seen, but I'm very encouraged by it. Yeah, and just the willingness of the and the ability. I think part of it is they're doing stuff that I wouldn't have thought that they could do. Right. And and they're just like, oh, hey, this is working. Now, the wheels could, could – they're in the category of teams I would say could also – like the wheels could fall out, right, of this category, like right where we want to be. I, I think the Raptors' injuries are going to kill them because they don't have the depth. Chicago, if these early results don't hold, they will go – they will spiral quickly. Um, one of the few teams I'll say that I have a kind of a, a level of confidence in in terms of relative to expectation is the Knicks. Okay, so four and five, uh, minus 1.3 in adjusted net rating, 17th in offense, 18th in defense per dunks and threes. Um, None of that is necessarily promising. But when I've watched the Knicks, they have been in it. Like they have been, they've had their opportunities. And that's kind of the key for them is have enough opportunities for you to be able to get there. They faced a tough schedule. They've played pretty well. I've liked what I've seen. Like Julius Randle being back to being a functional NBA player is a big step. Honestly, Brunson, I don't think has been as good as they were hoping, which means that that's maybe a good thing that they're four and five and he could be better. Barrett, I don't know where to be at. I don't know if this is going to work with him. Like this is a very, like he, I think is a, as a question mark, but the bench is so good. Toppin is so impactful. Uh, there's a lot for me. I think there's like a lot to like with the Knicks, even at four and five, I think relative to expectations, given their schedule, I'm pretty happy with where the Knicks sit. 
I do too. And something that has impressed me, you talked about how they played a hard schedule, is that a lot of those games have been close, maybe not close at the end, but close at different junctures. Like, for example, that game against the Cavs. Yeah, Cleveland ended up winning it by, I think it was 13. But the Knicks were close until relatively late, and the Cavs had an unbelievable shooting performance from both Donovan Mitchell and Kevin Love. So, yeah, that, that happened. Again, coaches turning over new Leafs. It's been very interesting that the the Knicks are so they've been in the bottom of the league basically every year running off of live rebounds even when you consider the quickly top in minutes the last couple of years they're second right now and it was a huge part of how they stayed in the game against the Cavs really interesting to see that happen they've been running more aggressively off of steals they're deep so they can push harder it's something that they could do and the Knicks aren't going to be the greatest half court offense in the world but they have enough different things and when Mitchell Robinson went down, Tibbs went to a little bit of Randall and Toppin together. Yeah. I thought I thought it was a little bit. It worked in part because the Sixers were so shorthanded that the defensive yep. limitations weren't there. But good to see Tibbs do something different. It wasn't just like, oh, let's plug in Jericho Sims. I mean, if they had had Taj, I'm pretty sure they would have just played Taj, but they don't. So that that were, I, I was encouraged to see that seeing Tibbs turn over a couple of new leaves. And there's also this weird question, like for the Knicks, that they're they're very similar to the team that I thought they'd be, which was more optimistic than than like their over under and numerous other things. It's just like how does everybody involved assess that? Like if they're just a capable team that's around 500, that if they're healthier than the average can be a little bit better than that. If they're less healthy, it can be a little bit worse because like it's not a bad place to be. And also, how does that affect? Probably not as much for 23, but more for 24. How does that affect their perception by players who might want to go there? Like, is that good enough to be like for somebody, whoever that player would be to say, I'm the missing piece, I can go there? Or do you need to be a little sexier for those potential additions to be excited about joining your team? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, go ahead. A couple other things I want to mention while we're kind of in this area. So the Blazers, for me, the big encouraged thing has been their defense. I did a whole thing on this for the last 15 and 60 on them, where the Blazers have actually been pretty solid over the last couple of years defensively when Nurkic has been available. They've just gone off a cliff whenever he's been out, and he's been mostly healthy this year. But they have more defensive talent, even if Gary Payton the second will play at some point. We don't know when that's going to be. So, and, and, you know, we'll see what happens with Lillard missing some time now, but like they've been better than I thought. And then the other two teams that merit, I think, discussion in this area, I think, I'm guessing you're going to have them one tier down. I wouldn't be, I would be stunned if it was more than that, are the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm -hmm. And the Pelicans, when you consider the context of not only who's been out, but who's been out and kind of at the same time, like Herb Jones and Ingram being out for the same three games, like weathering that, they're a really deep team. Like they've done a better job handling those kinds of stuff. And, you know, Zion's working his way back. I've been mostly encouraged, but not exclusively encouraged by what he's done. So the Pelicans are there. And then hilariously, even though like their net rating isn't what it was last year and everything else, I have the Memphis Grizzlies here for one specific reason, and that is John Morant looks awesome. Awesome. And just awesome. That's the most important thing. You know, like, I, I, yes, their defense hasn't been great so far, and they've been missing Jaron, and they're, and I mean, Desmond Bain had a terrible start to the year, and then has just been setting the house on fire basically after that. But the most important thing for Memphis is do they have a player who can work his way into the MVP conversation and ideally the best player in a playoff series against good teams conversation? And John Morant looks a whole hell of a lot more like that guy than he did last year. And I loved him last year. Yeah, I've got them and they could be better, but we're off the ledge. And sure. that's the, the third tier. And that's going to be surprising, I think, for a lot of folks when you look at the fact that Memphis is 7-3. and three. Uh, I will just say that I think there's a lot under the hood to be concerned about with Memphis, the 20th ranked defense at dunks and threes. Uh, their half court offense continues to be, be poor, which this is always going to affect a lot of my evaluation of them is half court offense is really important to me. It's like, can you get a bucket when things slow down? Because against a lot of opponents, it's not, it, you just can't run them off the court. Now Memphis did that for the duration last year, but I'll also say Memphis's schedule adjusted stuff does kind of lean you. It's why they're 12th in adjusted net rating. Part of the numbers with them are difficult because they had that uh, Mavericks game on the back-to-back versus a team that always beats them where they just got obliterated. So they, their numbers look a little worse than they actually are. Uh, I 
I just I will say that my inclination on Memphis was the was towards the win total under and that they were going to regress a little bit and I actually think they have. Like I don't think this team is as is as good as their record says. I agree. But getting these wins when they're not looking good and Jaron's not out there is really big. Like they have gotten these wins. They figured out ways to just get the wins and the momentum carries. The question's going to be whether that can sustain them for long enough until Jaron gets back and if Jaron gets back and they become like a real dangerous threat team because this was a team that very honestly if the wolves did not whiz down their leg last year goes out in the first round i thought they matched up well with the warriors and had they not lost game one which was a coin flip there's a chance that game goes much longer especially with the jaw injury so like last year was a good outcome for them they've had good outcomes this year under the hood i'm a little bit concerned the pelicans are interesting because I don't know if I'm punishing them for the drop-off after the start, right? So they go out and they just truck the, the Nets in that first game. And we're all like, holy crap, the Nets, the Pelicans look awesome. But now we kind of know, like, eh, the Nets just aren't great. Like, they're just not a great team. Um, they beat the, the Hornets. Okay, the Hornets are actually a little bit better. That's okay. They lose the Jazz. No shame in that. Jazz have been good. That's a good team. They lost by one. Coin flip game. They beat Dallas. That's a good win. Uh, they lose by fe- to Phoenix. No big deal, right? That's when the injuries start start creeping into them a little bit. Uh, they get past the Clippers, who have been horrible. They beat the Warriors without anybody. They they lose to the Lakers, but look, some teams will lose to the Lakers from now and then, and uh, uh, that was a... a Another game where I think injuries can uh, impact a thing, like Ingram being out mattered. But like the Hawks game, I think is an interesting one, right? Like the Hawks, if you're going to be at the tier that I think the most optimistic people have for the Pelicans, the Hawks game is one that I would circle as kind of a a litmus test. And so I think the Pelicans are going to be really good. I think the Pelicans are better than their 5-4 and four record based off of the injuries. I think that they're fine, but I do think that especially on in some of their high leverage situations, I think they've got to be a little bit better. Totally fair, and I think they'll get another litmus test game on Wednesday against the Bulls. Like We'll see how they fare. So that would be really interesting in terms of the like athleticism and some of the specific defenders in that, in that game are going to be, you know, like the challenges that they present themselves will be fun. And also, yes, you can say the Pelicans lost to the Hawks. It was on the tail end of a back-to-back that involved travel, but your first game was against the Warriors bench unit and was at home. So, And it's not that long a flight from New Orleans to Atlanta. Yeah. So it is a back-to-back, but it is on the lighter side of back-to-backs, to be sure. And yeah, I think that's all fair with the Pelicans. One team we haven't spent time on that you had higher, I have them in the on-track section, is the Denver Nuggets, a team you know extremely well. What is your read on them so far? They're awesome. Um, if we dig into the three losses that they've got, it's the Jazz and the home opener, which that win- that loss gets better every single week with how good the Jazz are. Like you would expect now the Nuggets to lose to the Jazz in their home opener. The Portland loss was a bad one. The Lakers were a desperate team on a Sunday night, L.A. nightlife, winless spot uh, in a duplex spot where they played them the previous Wednesday. Those games were hard to win. It was the perfect spot for the Lakers. And that's their three losses. Um, A lot of this for me is built off of, we'll see, they've got the Celtics coming up in a couple of days, and I expect them to lose that game. How they lose that game will matter to me. The impressive thing for me with Denver has been Jamal Murray's ahead of schedule. MPJ looks amazing. They've had shooting luck, but not. it's more like, hey, what's the best case outcome for their shooters? That. And it's been ridiculous, but they have. that's why they built this team this way. I, I've been impressed because last year, so many of their games, because they were so hurt, so banged up, the roster was so limited, the bench was so bad, every game was a fight. Every game was a struggle. They couldn't ever get separation. They had to come back versus bad teams. It was exhausting. It was exhausting for the fan base, for the team, for the coaches, for the players, for the media. It was exhausting for everybody. And they've had a high number this year already of games where it's just like, yeah, no, they just out, they, they're just better. Thunder, San Antonio, like just games, they're just better. They, well, they just, they're, they're ahead of them. And that's that level of comfort goes a long way towards like Denver's playoff success is going to be dictated by can they solve the problems in front of them? They're never going to like, they're never going to be a spot where they are just like better than the best teams in the league. Uh, the Warriors have that capacity at their very, very best, but very few teams do. The Milwaukee Bucks do at their very best. I don't know that anybody can beat them, but Denver, it's going to be about, can we solve the problems once we get there for them? The key is getting through the regular season in a comfortable spot and they're on track to do that. So I think 
to the right where they want to be. I, I moved them up in significant part because of Michael Porter Jr. looking so good. Because that that was a question I had. I'm still going to be queasy with his back basically constantly. That's the way it works. And Jamal Murray's rounding his brain for me. He's, he's getting there, and I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. So yeah, I moved them up out of the on-track into the exceeding expectations group. I'm looking through my on-track group. We haven't talked a ton about the Hawks. Um, you had them higher. For Atlanta, like, I, it, I'm in a weird place with them because parts of it, like, parts of what has gone poorly for them feels anomalous. Like, the tray, the tray only minutes have been bad, and that's weird. Like, I expect that to improve. Um, I'm still, not, I'm just straight up not a believer in their defense. So that's a little bit of a problem, but they're fine. You know, like, I have them in the on track. I think you had them in the better, be, like, you had them in the better than on track category. Yeah, they're right where they want to be. I think I, I did bet stream on them. Uh, on Wednesday, you talk about the league pass streams. I was on bet stream with them for for Hawks Knicks, and for me, I think I'm probably that that game probably tilts me a little bit. A lot of it is okay. If you told me the Hawks were 13th in offense and adjusted offensive rating at this point in the season, what would I expect their record to be after nine games? I'd be like mm, probably four and five, maybe five and four if they want a coin flip. So to be six and three, I look at it as. No, like they've gotten wins when the process hasn't been great. Mm -hmm. The defense, I think, is an interesting question mark because um, not that it's a question of whether they're, they're bad or not. They're 22nd. If they stay between 20th and 22nd, I think they're going to finish right where they want to be. Like, that's going to be their approach. Uh, I will also say that some of this is probably tilted by the fact that I saw DeJounte Murray have the best game I've ever seen him play when I did mm -hmm. that stream, and he dominated in a way that was just like unbelievable like it was a good thing when trey went out because it meant more yeah. Dejounte. He, he, he was, was so good in that comeback i mean he, he was, was fantastic zerk uh on both ends of the floor i i also i think a lot of it for me is i just continue i know how much they looked at trading capella in the offseason i know how much they like okongwu i know what they're capable of when they go small and if they can get there with a trade this season, I think that they're going to be better than their playoff ceiling will get more in line with what they hope to be rather than what they are now. Um, as of right now, I think it's like, look, uh, six and three haven't played awesome. That to me gets them right where they want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about the could be better, but we're off the ledge teams. And we talked about a bunch of those. The Pelicans, the Mavericks, who a lot of the Mavericks stuff is boosted the same way Memphis is nuked. The Mavericks stuff looks better because of that win versus Memphis. Um, but two teams I have with the Pelicans, Mavericks, and Grizzlies, three really good teams, are the Rockets and Pistons. And the reason I have them could be better, but we're off the ledge is, you know, they want to tank. They want to lose. So it's fine. But with Detroit and Houston, I think you would have liked to have seen them be a bit more competitive than they've been. Like Detroit being 30th in defensive rate, rating, I, I think is... Like that's like a ooh, like that was that, supposed to be a stronger unit for you. That's the reason I'm in. I'm in the, the below. The Pistons are below expectations. Is that I'm fine with their bench units sucking, though. I have criticisms of how Dwayne Casey managed it. Some of those have gotten better over the last week versus where they were the first week and a half, where they were just getting slaughtered in those minutes. But the defense has been bad, and it's been bad in ways that I mostly expect to continue, which is a concern. Um, and then the Rockets, yeah, I, th I think that's totally fair. If you're going to include the Rockets there, I would include the Orlando Magic, who I have in the on-track section, because what I love about the, beyond just loving watching this Magic team play, is they've been largely propelled by the players that I think are the most important for their future. Like, Bancaro has been very good. He's exceeded my expectations so far. Franz Wagner building on a surprisingly, to my eyes, strong rookie year. And to do what they've done without basically any of their guards is yeah. extremely impressive. I yeah. mean, they're 23rd on offense, but they're 23rd on offense when Markel Fultz has played zero minutes and Cole Anthony has played barely any. And, you know, and, and that's Bancaro, that's Franz Wagner. I, I I actually, they're you know, they're 16th in defense. I had been, like, maybe the idea of, like, oh, could they be top 10? Like, that part of it, I'm, I'm slowing that roll for, <laughs> for a justified yeah. reason. Like, it was that, oh, maybe they can figure it out. And maybe some of that was just the, you know, like, the magic that they had. Oh, I wish I had use that word um a few okay. years ago and it's not the same team it's not the same organization but yeah and let's talk about the rockets a bit they're a fascinating story so far 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I think Shangun's been good. He still doesn't have the trust of the of the coaching staff. That's a problem. Um, point blank, it's fine. The reason the Pistons and Rockets are there is because I think those teams should expect to tank. They are they're going to wind up with a bad record. They're going to get another great great draft pick. Orlando, I think, could legitimately be decent, and they don't have the wins. So the wins matter here, which is why I actually have the Magic in a tier below. Um, with Houston, they have the 21st offense schedule adjusted. If you're going to build this roster with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and Alperin Shingoon and Jabari Smith, who I think will be a good defender in time, if you're going to build that roster, you better have like a, hey, you know what, that, that offense is pretty good, and it's not right it's 21st and when you combine a 21st with a 25th ranked defense you get this one in nine record like they are what the record says they are and it's fine because again they'll get another guy but what i kind of keep coming back to is like who looks more impactful for you right now towards winning even though they only have one more win palo bancaro or jalen green and the answer is palo bancaro agreed like by by a wide margin and yeah. so if, if Jalen's your guy, you need to be like Jalen Green's having a fantastic season, but they're losing games. And that's not what I feel like when I watch Houston. Right. And like Cade Cunningham has been up and down, but at least when the Pistons have done well, it's largely been Cade's doing, you know, like, which has been encouraging. But Jalen Green, it's just, I, I, I've been a believer of him for a long time. I'm not stopping as a believer of Jalen Green because of his start, but I mean, like, He's below 40% on twos, and their spacing isn't the greatest thing in the world. That's a concern, not getting to the line more. Like, some of those, like, spacing, those kinds of issues, but you want to see more of those flashes of, like, oh, this is where it's going. And I'm not—I'm going to do a, you know, detailed thing on Jalen Green the next three weeks. I don't know exactly when that's going to be, but when I've watched him so far— other than some really fun moments in that game against Memphis, which was one of my favorite games to watch this season so far, it hasn't quite been there. So that's been a concern for me. Um, and then a couple other teams that are in my kind of like on track group that we can talk about briefly. The Charlotte Hornets have been friskier than anticipated, especially with the context that LaMelo Ball has been out. But the reason that they're not higher is because they've been friskier, but it hasn't really been the guys that I think are key to them taking real steps forward. You know, like it hasn't, you know, like Dennis Smith has been better than I thought. Their overall defense, I still think Steve Clifford is a very good coach, but I haven't like, I'm not thinking Jalen, Jalen McDaniels, oh, he's a star right now, or Rozier, who's been hurt a lot, or, you know, it, it hasn't been, or they figured out center. Nope, they still haven't figured out center just yet. So like for New Orleans, for first, not New Orleans, that's where they were before. The the Hornets just, that's where I am, where it's like, they've been better than I've thought, but they haven't been better in ways that I think are the foundation for the next great Hornets team. Yeah, and I, but I think if we're going to do the expectation thing, I don't know that they expected that this season. Sure, I, I agree. You know? That's that's why I have them in on track. Like, that's, yeah, that's fine. That's, and that's good. See, I've got them in the, in the could really use a win-loss, a win or a loss streak. Uh-huh. Um, because... For me, it's like, look, you guys either need to be way worse or you need to be way better. And you look at it and you go, well, they're three and seven. True. And they're 27th in this adjusted net rating. I actually think that they've been competitive. Like they've hung in games. Steve Clifford is like what I thought he was, which is a guy that can really raise the floor. Like they're getting like the guys are playing hard. They're 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 playing with purpose. They have all these veterans. Uh, it's going to be very easy, I think, for them to get the loss streak in order for them to head to spiral off with LaMelo. Um, no no dedicated timeline for his return. The history of this team over the last two seasons has been when Ga- when Gordon Hayward's out, they're garbage. That's been like the thing with them. And with Gordon Hayward out, I kind of expect them for this to spiral so far that they can't get it back under control. Maybe that's wrong, but either way, here's, here's kind of my thing is that three and seven, definitely like you're four games under 500 already, but you've hung in these games and you could have like versus a, a weaker schedule. Maybe you wind up winning more. Um, I look at this and I go, you need to, you need to go one way or the other. You either need to get real bad real quick or real good or real decent real quick. And they don't seem to be heading either. So they, they could really use a win or a loss streak. I'm guessing you have San Antonio in that category as well. Yep. So this team is this tier, this tier is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams. Uh, Sixers seems pretty obvious there, right? Like uh, the, the under the hood stuff, eighth in offense, 19th in defense and has been out hardened out. 
Uh, Embiid started off the season looking just absolutely horrible conditioning-wise. All of these things have gone wrong. If the, the Sixers had won two more games and they're six and four, we're probably like, yeah, they're fine. Nah, they're they're okay. And so they're better than they did. Then, like especially after starting off so bad, they've stabilized. It's just really like they could use like a, a winning streak to kind of make everything feel okay. Uh, Magic, same kind of deal. Miami, I think, has looked like 26 in offense <clears throat> is worse than expected. But again, like their formula is always going to be defense, and they're ninth in that category. So it's like if they can rack up the wins again. You flip them to six and four, they get enough wins and you're just kind of like, okay, not great. We're probably like, they're probably not the high end of expectations for Miami. I don't know that anybody was super high on them this year, but they could be back to, yeah, they're Miami. They're the same team. We kind of expect them to be, uh, Hornets are in that category. Wizards actually, I think are in that category sure. where, uh, I've, I've liked what I've seen from the Wizards in general. My biggest thing with the Wizards is this team screams. They got to have a best player who's on the court and, it's not his fault. Had COVID, right? Like, I'm quad vaxxed and I got COVID. It happens. Yep. But it would just sure be nice if Bradley Beal was a little bit more present and available throughout the course of the season. I- when it's like... That that's a big thing for them. I, I will say I've been much, I've been positive on Kristaps Porzingis this year. I think that he's been yeah. better better than I anticipated. And like the hilarity of the Washington Wizards is they're kind of in the overall area that I expected with the overall context. It's just that it's how you feel about that, which has been the story of the Ted Leonsis era. Really, is just like. Well, how do you feel about being four and six? <laughs> it's like okay, you're you're far away from being one of the best teams, and he seems more okay with that than me. That's totally fine. That's just how things are in San Antonio. The there are a couple things depending on which site you use that are really hilarious with them. So San Antonio five and five on the year, but if you want to use SRS, you know again calculates with opponent quality. They're last in the Western Conference. And if you want to use dunks and threes, they're 29th in all of the adjusted net rating. So it's just this crazy circumstance, partially because they've gotten just absolutely trucked in their losses. Most of their wins have been pretty close. And the additional context that some of their wins look worse now because they beat Minnesota twice and Minnesota just hasn't been good. Yeah, that's the thing is like San Antonio, it definitely looks like, oh, this is a really bad team that just caught certain teams at the right time. If they played Minnesota three months from now, I feel pretty confident they would have. Now, look, your numbers are going to get destroyed if you lose 143 to 100 <laughs> to the Raptors. <laughs> Why, yes. Yes, they will. And they <laughs> and they lost by 25 to Denver, too. Yeah, and Denver like showed off and made that game into a, a highlight reel. Uh, we'll see what they do in the revenge game, so to speak, the duplex spot on Monday night as we record this on Monday afternoon. But... Um, yeah, like the Wolves game, like Jakob Pertle dominated Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. That's a bad look for Minnesota. That's not a good look for, for San Antonio. You're not going to be like, you know what? Maybe Jakob Pertle is like a, our franchise. No, you just look at that and you go, man, Minnesota needs to get its act together. Um, they beat Chicago. That's a, always a, a an interesting spot because of the DeRozan stuff. Like There's a lot of emotion there. Uh, I think there were some injuries in that game as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no Levine in that game. So like that winds up mattering. Um, San Antonio, I've got them in the, uh, in the could really use a loss streak just because it's like, no, 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 this, this team knows where it's going. Like they know, they know the deal and they just happen to be five and five. Now they're disciplined much the same way the Thunder are. Like they're a structured and organized team. That's as funny as the difference between the Spurs the thun- and the Thunder versus the Rockets is you will watch San Antonio and OKC and be like, this is a professional team that knows what it's doing. They're just not that very talented. And you'll watch the Rockets and go, there's a lot of guys that can do a lot of, of, of things in terms of talent. But they have no idea how to play. And that gap is very, very wide. The coaching gap between those teams is huge. Um, so they're there. The last team I actually have on the could really use a win loss streak. It's funny is is like you know San Antonio's five and five. The Golden State Warriors at three and seven. Now look, twenty ninth in adjusted defensive rating, twenty sixth in overall net rating, fourteenth in offense. I'm on an island here. It feels like where generally speaking, most of the basketball intelligentsia is very much like no, they have real problems. And I, I just kind of get keep getting to Steph, Dre, Clay have a positive, have a plus 12 net rating. They're choosing to play the problems that give them the, that may give them minus stints. It is a choice that they're making. They're choosing to try and make James Wiseman work. They're choosing to try and get the young kids with these rep, these reps. And so if you told me if I feel like if you told the Warriors, guys, we need to win five in a row. 
the Warriors would be like, no problem, we'll get it done. I think it's instead that they're pacing themselves. A win streak would get some of the pressure off and soothe some of the things, especially after the Draymond Poole incident. Poole hasn't shot well. There's so much about this team that I look at and go, uh, Golden State's going to be fine after the next 10% of games is over. I agree with you almost completely. And I think that the other kind of key component going back, you know, not that they've had the same season so far, but the same with the Warriors and the Bucks is just like, are the things that are the most important going well? And the answer for the Warriors is yes. Stephen Curry's looking good. Clay hasn't been perfect, but he's doing well. Draymond Green, you know, there can be a lot of vacillation with him. He's having a good year when he's been available. And Looney's looked good physically. Wiggins has been totally fine. He's had some weird defensive flubs, but generally speaking, he's done well. And so the concern areas are the bench has been awful. Jordan Poole has been below expectations. And those are correctable. A, either A, by just not playing the bench as much, which you and I are in agreement that can happen, and then Poole will play better. That, that's the way it works. He's not a part of their best club, best five anyway. So it's not, and, and they if they want to go to the offensive group, they can do that. So I, like you, I have I had it in them in like a small concern category, but just because of the bench. But I agree with you; it's not anything huge wrong, and uh, it'll be. I'm I'm guessing that game against Cleveland on Friday is going to be heavily referenced because of the you know how well the Cavs have been playing and all that. It might be the like oh the Warriors get up for it; they'll have had three days off at home and they just like they handle it. But Cleveland's also good; like Cleveland could win that game even if, even if they get the Warriors fastball, and I'm excited about that. Uh, the Timberwolves. I mean, I'm concerned about their offense. I'm concerned about like the there's the, always this idea when things when teams have expectations for the first time about if they if they don't go well really early on, like can they keep it together? Because it depends so much on like the moxie of the individual players in the organization, and the Wolves haven't really had to do that recently. It's going to I, I think I'm just going to be in a weird place with them. Also, I'm notoriously harder on teams that I was higher on than I failing to meet expectations than anyone else. Yeah, I've got the weight. We're going the wrong way. This is the fourth to last or fifth to last here. Uh, fifth out of six, rather. Um, second to last here. I've got the Clippers and the Wolves in there along with the Jazz and the Thunder. So it's like the Jazz and the Thunder are better than they want to be. And the Clippers and the Wolves are worse than they want to be. Um, I am still pretty okay with Minnesota. I think on a, on a timeline, I think part of it was we kind of, there was hope that, like you kind of mentioned, like it would all kind of come together. And when you really think about adding a piece like Gobert, if it doesn't fit seamlessly, it's going to be really bad. Like there's only two ways this early season could have gone is awesome or horrible. And it's been horrible. And so from that perspective, I think, um, I'm, I'm not, I am not panicking about the wolves yet. I'm not readjusting expectations for them. It's more just, they got to figure this out because things can spiral on you. That's said they're five and five, you know, it's like they, th- this could be a lot worse. The Anthony Edwards stuff is concerning. That adds to it is Anthony Edwards. Yeah, that's concerning. Um, how good they look versus Houston, who again, we've talked about is horrible without Rudy is part of it. But that to me is also, it's instructive of the problem is not that this doesn't work. The problem is that they haven't figured out how to make it work yet. And they'll figure that out. The Clippers, I don't know what to do with. Because usually I would just be in the same place with the Warriors, where I'd be like, well, look, uh, they'll figure this out. They'll get it together. Kawhi's been out, blah, 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 blah. They're so bad, and their shot profile is so terrible. They're not taking enough threes. They're giving up a ton. Like, betting Utah on Sunday was one of the easiest spots that we've had, because it was a high three-point team versus the Clippers. That should not be how that is. And I can't figure out why they're doing that. For a team that's been as well coached as they've been, I haven't liked their approach to games. Um, the let approach, alone the, my pro- the approach has been a problem, but also just like, there's this idea when you have players who are in their 30s of the wheels might fall off the wagon at some point, And you don't want to use 10 games or in many cases fewer than 10 games to assess that. But like I've, Reggie Jackson just hasn't looked right. And I've been at times very frustrated with Norm Powell. And like we wondered about, and, and there are numerous other, I mean, and then like Robert Covington's usage rate is like 10%. Like he's just not taking shots this year. Batum's is, I think, actually lower than Covington's, um, but he's actually making his shots, which is useful. 
So like, yeah, I, I'm I'm very concerned about the Clippers. They're in my like most concerned category because if this isn't just let's see it when Kawhi's back. They're they've been way worse than I thought, and I'm more freaked out about Kawhi than I was before because the he's not playing at the like the frequency and the level that I anticipated before. So it's like, yeah, I'm pretty damn freaked out about the Clippers. Yeah, and I I don't necessarily worry about a spiral because they've got too many veterans, but it's just like it's so bad. There is kind of a hey. Time to time to pick it up, folks. Gotta gotta get this thing going. Um, and then my last year <clears throat> is titled uh, "The Lakers and the Nets," <laughs> and it consists of the Lakers and the Nets. And choosing which to put below was tough. I eventually went with the Lakers thirtieth because they seem hopeless versus the Nets just seem uh, like you've got to be a little bit resigned to what they're going to be. Um, I'm actually you know, a little more optimistic Katie, on the Lakers than you are. Not much, but a little bit. Like, their defense has been good so far, but their offense has been terrible, yeah. and it's probably not going to be that much better. I think, for me, a lot of it is I am not the anti-Russ guy. I am one of the few guys that has been like, yeah, I, I know, he's not great, but, like, look, he really was. I've tried really hard to fight how people have reimagined his career, where he was dominant in 2012 to about 2016. He was amazing. Um, but, look... Russ's shooting percentages are not going to hold. He's not going to be a good three-point shooter. The turnovers are going to be a problem. They can't shoot, so it's going to be hard to put pieces around him. And then on top of it, it's like you already – when Anthony Davis was – he beat he beat the Nuggets two days later, uh, again, because of the spot for a number of reasons. He looks so bad when Joker just completely abused him end-to-end physically. I'm just like, I don't know if you're going to get to get to Christmas with this guy. There's already talk about the possibility of a trade. LeBron's entire body language, post-game commentary, everything is a mixture of disappointment and fury at the front office for not addressing the problems that he created. This roster's bad. And even when they get good performance, you know, it's like they get the win in overtime because Matt Ryan hits the corner three. Okay, right? Like versus the Pels. And they get one free throw. And that game is a loss. And it's just there's so many things to point to with the Lakers. The defense has been good, but the offense more than makes up for that. And I don't know. It's a matter of I feel like, well, yeah, they'll get better as the season goes on. And with the Lakers, I'm like, I don't know. I think they could get worse, especially talent wise, given what Davis looks like physically. Totally fair. I don't even know if we need to dwell dwell on Brooklyn. There's been plenty of <laughs> plenty of Brooklyn. But I will say, like, the off-court stuff is the off-court stuff. Their defense has been bad, and I have very little reason to believe that it'll be better because I was hoping Ben Simmons would take a step, like, would be, you know, ideally closer to the guy that he was and do that. But A, his defensive flashes have been less frequent than I wanted and be like he's been straight about played by Nick Claxton so far and if that that was one of their pathways to being a much better team was Simmons being an all-NBA player and I'm less confident now than I was on October 1st that that was going to be the reality yeah I don't know I mean I just um I don't really know how to factor the number of embarrassing losses the fact that they had to really like Katie had to go supernova for them to get past the Hornets you know, is Ben Simmons coming back a plus, a negative? Claxton's been good. Who else has been good for them? Like Kevin Durant and Nick Claxton have been good players. I don't know anybody else has been a net positive for the, for the Nets. And um, organizationally, obviously, there's just so much of a mess. I don't, I don't know how you find the momentum that you need to get to get through the next six months of basketball with where this franchise is at. Right. Like what's wild about the Nets is. You could put them in this category for either only the on-court stuff or only the off-court stuff, and that's unusual, like, that you can do that. I mean, we're less than a month into the season, and things are just bad. Just bad. Agreed. Anything else you want to share? We've gone through a lot here. I think the team that I'm probably expecting—I guess here's here's a question for you because we kind of brushed over him. Cam Johnson's out. Jay Crowder's on the trade block. Do you think that when we do these these tiers again and the— categorization always changes but do you think that we'll be higher on the suns or lower on the suns the next time we meet that is a fantastic question because i agree mm-hmm. with you i think it's not going to be the same and th- my instinct is i i you know like they've kind of taken you know they've taken hits and kept on trucking that was that was part of why i picked money williams as my coach of the year last year this is a kind of a different challenge than some that they've done i'm gonna go we're feeling better about them okay 
Uh, I will go with will feel worse based off of the injuries and um, everything else. I think I kind of wonder if it's hard because the the stuff that they do that is replicable seems so replicable. But given their personnel and their schedule to be third in adjusted offense, third in adjusted defense, I I just kind of look at that and I go, "Mm, that seems high end. And it'll be fascinating, though, because, you know, Phoenix has been very good at. Phoenix has been good at defeating our expectations in every sense. When we expect them to be dominant, they've had inglorious exits. And when we have expected them to regress or struggle, uh, they've been superb. So it'll be fascinating to see where they're at here the next time we do tears. For sure. Thank you so much, Matt. So much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Action Network. You can listen to him on the Action Network and Locked On NBA and Locked On Nuggets. You can also watch and listen to him on the Bet Streams, which is really fun, on League Pass. They do great work there. And of course, if you don't already, you can follow him at HP Basketball. Love having Matt on. Love these exercises. And it's clarifying. It's rewarding to go through all this stuff. And we'll see where the Phoenix Suns are. Of course, that's a fun part of this to linger on towards the end of the episode. Loved having him on. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can download every episode, subscribe, whatever podcast player you use. It can be Apple, it can be Spotify, honestly, wherever. We really do appreciate it. And you can also help other people find the show through leaving a rating or review in that podcast player, social media, whatever you want to do. That really makes a difference for us. And then the most important thing for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Also tells them that you came from us. So hopefully you'll continue to, they will continue to advertise and you can check out their product. You can also check out my other work. Nate and I are doing a ton of NBA strategy streams through League Pass. The day of the week changes, there's a calendar that you should be able to see. I tweeted out a fair amount, Nate tweets it out a fair amount, and including, depending on when you listen to this, we're doing Grizzlies and Celtics on Monday the 7th, which should be awesome. Gonna start, well not start, but continue with my prep for that actually shortly. But then dunked on, dunked on Prime, Lots of great stuff there, a mix of 15 and 60s and gamers and other concepts. And now we can start getting a little bit more into the big picture stuff because there's more picture. And you can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I put out a team-by-team cap space preview late last week. I have, I believe, two other pieces that I'm working on and then we'll go through editorial. Hopefully I can get one out by the end of the week. It might be beginning of next week. We'll see. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it. I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I generally reply as well. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.